This morning, part of my devotions, and it sounds strange saying this, but uh, is reading the newspaper. And reading the newspaper is, my, is part of my devotion, not the whole thing, part of it, because I'm encouraged to pray for what's going on in the world. But as I was reading today's newspaper, of the first 20 headlines that I saw, 14 of them were overtly divisive. And I'm reminded that in our world, we need people who bring together. And so we're talking about what it means to be a bridge builder because one of the primary callings of Jesus on his church is that we will build bridges. And so over the last few weeks, we've been looking at some traits, some tools about what it means to be a bridge builder. We've looked at how important it is to be humble so that we can understand We've looked at how important it is as bridge builders to lament, to own what's ours. We've looked at why it's important to confess, to apologize. Adam spoke about the important tool of forgiveness that actually helps us build. And then last week we talked about the issue of repentance to make sure we're building in the right direction. Today, I want to talk about the important bridge building responsibility of extending restorative restitution. If you want to follow along, you can do so in Luke chapter 19. It's a familiar story. If you have your phone and you have the YouVersion Bible app, open up the YouVersion Bible app, go to the Church Together event, and you will be able to see in there my sermon notes, the scriptures as we use them, and also some additional thoughts from me. Search Church Together in the Bible app. But today, as we talk about bridge building, we're talking about restitution. Restitution has been a word that has been our cultural language recently. It means to restore. You have also heard recently the word uh, reparation used, which means to repay. And I put it to you today that restitution is important because restitution is part of what it means to truly live in forgiving relationships with one another. You know, so often when we do something wrong, we don't like to forgive. But when we do, sometimes we just issue this throwaway forgiveness statement. Oh, I'm sorry. Or I'm sorry that you were offended by what I said. Or you knew I was only joking. And we think that that checks the box of forgiveness. Or, well, I said sorry to God and that makes it right and I don't need to uh, confront or, or have that difficult conversation with the other person. But, but true forgiveness has four parts. It has confession, it has forgiveness, it has repentance, but it also has restitution. This action of doing something to make it right. This past week I was talking with a friend of mine who was having some trouble at work. 
some difficult dynamics between colleagues and he had to go to HR and talk about it. And he made his complaint and HR said they would investigate. And his comment to me was, I don't know how we return from this. I don't know how we have a good working relationship from this. Well, whatever your process looks like, make sure there's some confession and forgiveness and repentance, change of behavior, but also some restitution, something that is restoring what was lost. It says in the book of Numbers, chapter 5, verse 7, you must confess your sin and make Full restitution, make full restitution for what you've done wrong. If we haven't made restitution, then forgiveness isn't complete. Does that make sense? This word uh, restitution, the, the Hebrew word that's listed in Numbers, Shuv is listed over a thousand times in the Old Testament alone. This idea of restitution and making things right is a big deal in the scriptures. It's a big deal in the gospels and it's a big deal to Jesus because he gave his life. There's restitution for our sin to forgive us and to free us. But like any other issue of forgiveness, restitution is hard because it's humbling and it humbles us. But it's worth it because if we don't make restoration, restitution, if we don't restore, then, then not only is forgiveness not complete, but life, emotionally, practically, spiritually, is limited. And so I want to talk today from the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 about how restitution makes right us emotionally and practically and spiritually with one another and with God. So Zacchaeus, you guys know that story, right? If you were in church as a youngster, it's like the go-to story of every Sunday school teacher. Little man, a tax collector, climbs a tree because Jesus is coming to his town and Jesus sees him and says, uh, Jesus, I want to come to your home. In England, we have a little song where Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your home for tea, which is what I would offer Jesus if he came to my home, I think. It's probably the, 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 the most sacrificial gift that I could give. <laughs> but Zacchaeus lives in Jericho. Jericho is a busy, bustling city. It's real nice. It's real pretty. In fact, Josephus called it a divine region. As well as being this beautiful place, it was the center of commerce. 
It was on the middle of a busy trade route, which meant that people were coming in and out. They were stopping there. They were spending their money. But in the midst of this beautiful place that had so much right going for it, there was a lot of wrong happening in it. And in the midst of the wrong that was taking place, there stood Zacchaeus. We read that he was the chief tax collector. And so often we just gloss over that. That's what his job. We think it's just descriptive. But that's a description that tells us a lot about Zacchaeus. You see, the Romans needed some taxes to advance their people, to build the roads, to create the infrastructure, to take over. And so they taxed the people of Jericho. And because they taxed, they needed a tax collector. But the tax collector had a lot of wiggle room. Because the law said that as long as he paid to Rome what Rome wanted, he could charge the people in Jericho whatever he wanted. And so he did. If he needed 5% in taxes to give to Rome, he'd charge 10% and he'd keep the 5 extra percent for himself. That didn't make him very popular. That was sinful. That is a wrong In addition to this, as the chief tax collector, he had lots of other tax collectors working under him. And it kind of created this pyramid scheme that not only did the other tax collectors profit, but he collected off the other tax collectors' profits. Does that make sense? It made him doubly unpopular. It was doubly wrong what he was doing. The third thing that caused everybody to hate him was that he was a Jew working for the Roman enemy. He was been disloyal. He was supporting the other side. Those that threatened to steal the freedoms and the rights of his people. So in this city where a lot of right could have happened, there's this one man who is doing wrong. Ironically, the name Zacchaeus actually means righteous. But there wasn't much right about Zacchaeus. He wronged the Jews. He wronged the Romans. He wronged his colleagues, and he wronged God. He was an unclean man doing unclean things, and his very presence was dividing people, was causing tension, was creating fiction. He was building a wall when there was opportunity to build a bridge. Jesus had just said a few chapters earlier that it's really hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And Zacchaeus had unjustly 
in an unfair way made himself very rich. But he hears that Jesus is coming to his town. Jesus is coming to Jericho. And he decides that he wants to see Jesus. There are all kinds of reasons why he could have wanted to see Jesus. I think he wanted to see Jesus because he knew that he had been doing wrong. He knew that his actions had divided. And ultimately that his actions had divided him from God. Now, because he's a short man in stature as well as in character, he has to climb this tree because there are all kinds of crowds around and, you know, short people at the back of crowds, it doesn't work very well. So he climbs this tree and he makes himself incredibly vulnerable because as he's sitting in this tree, he's doing so as a symbol of everything that is wrong in the city. And everybody can see him. And most people were probably mocking him. And most people were probably a little frustrated because they were annoyed that his dramatic act was going to take away their time from Jesus. Zacchaeus was living a life that in so many ways was wrong. Before we judge Zacchaeus too much, I want to confess that more often than I know and I realize, I live a wrong life. And allow me to remind you that there is much in your life that is wrong too. That the scripture says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us can pick up that judgmental stone of condemnation and throw it at another because we've all wronged. We've all built walls when we needed to build bridges. But Zacchaeus was living a life that was wrong. And so Jesus comes and Jesus offers him an invitation to change. An invitation to do right. An invitation to make things right. Man, it would have been so interesting to see some of the social dynamics at play on this day. The crowd is buzzing. Jesus is coming. He's looking around. Jesus' disciples were maybe acting like his security detail to protect him. And here's Zacchaeus at the top of the tree. And Zacchaeus is at the top of the tree because he wants to be seen by Jesus. What he doesn't realize is that, that Jesus is looking for him. Because Jesus' heart and his attitude and his actions are always drawn to those who are lost, to those who are doing wrong things. Jesus says a little bit later in his passage, it's because people do wrong things that I came. I didn't come to save the healthy, I came to save the sick. Zacchaeus is living this wrong life. 
And rather than run away from those who are doing wrong, Jesus runs to him. It's reminded this 9-11, this last Friday, of the story of Wells Crowther. You may have heard of it. He was a volunteer firefighter who was working in tower number one at the trade center on the day the planes hit. And as they hit, everybody was, was trying to get out as soon as they can. But not Wells. When everyone else was going down, he was going up. He, he covered himself in a red bandana. And he said, I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm not going to run away from trouble. I'm going to run towards trouble and see if I can help people. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. And so Jesus sees him in this tree. And he says to him immediately, because Jesus doesn't want us to sit in our shame and our vulnerability too long, Come down. What, what's happening here is that there's this, this moment where change can take place. It says later that salvation came to his home, but I believe salvation happened in this moment. When he's up at the tree and Jesus says, come down. And Zacchaeus has a choice. I don't have to come down. I could stay here, let Jesus pass, go about his business. Then I go back to my business and keep doing wrong. Or I could come down and work out and work through and work past the wrongs in his life. It's this moment of change and he chooses to take it. I want to encourage you today. When you have a moment of change, normally which is brought on by tragedy, take it. We're in the midst of some difficult race relations. George Floyd's death was tragic. But it presents us with a cultural moment, a cultural opportunity to change. Will we take it? That this COVID pandemic changed everything, right? It shut everything down. We're all wearing masks. We're all sitting apart. But in the midst of this, God is saying something to us. He's inviting us to change, to do things differently, to do things better. And the question before us is, will we take this moment? I confess in my life, there are so many times over the last six months when I've just wanted this to be over so I could go back to normal. But a better question is, Lord, how do you want to change me in this moment? How do you want to make me better? How do you want to make me live more righteously? How do you want to help me love people better and respect people better and draw close to you? How do you want me to build better habits in my life? We have an invitation to change. Zacchaeus has an invitation to make right the wrong that he lived.
and he decides to take it. And he goes back home and Jesus becomes a guest in his home. And the people are jealous. They're angry at Jesus. How can he go to the home of a sinner, someone who's done so much wrong? Honestly, what they were saying is, how can Jesus go to someone's home who's done so much wrong against me? They were feeling personally violated. They were angry with Jesus because a man who had done wrong was invited to change. But when we're invited to change, we're invited to make a response that says and shows that we're different. And that happens for Zacchaeus in three areas. And this is where we start to talk about restitution, about restoration, about fixing problems and making wrongs right and completing the process of forgiveness. The first make right moment that happens is an emotional one. And the expression of that emotional make right is when Jesus goes to his house, the house of a sinner, the house of someone far from God. Can you imagine what statement that is making that Jesus doesn't go to the home of the well-to-do. He goes to the home of the sinner, the one who is wrong. It says to the sinner, I want to make you right with your society. I want to restore relationships. It's almost like Jesus is saying, I know all these people around you. They hate you. They shun you. They distance themselves to you, but I'm coming to your home. Jesus is starting the process of making things right between Zacchaeus and the people by making things right in Zacchaeus' emotions. He had been this outsider. But because Jesus came to his door, he was about to become an insider. There is something significant about visiting someone in their home. You see what they like. You see what they value. You see the memorabilia and the trinkets and artifacts of the story. And it makes a statement that says, I care about you. I want to understand more about you. And man, that does something special to us. I'm not suggesting that we necessarily need to spend more time in each other's homes, although that would be a good thing. But I am suggesting that if we want to experience restitution, we need to spend more time in other people's lives. Listening and understanding and mending 
and fixing. Zacchaeus was feeling loved, possibly for the first time in his life, certainly for a long, 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 long time. And when restitution is taking part, there's an emo- taking place, there's an emotional healing that is happening. There's also a very practical healing that is happening as well. Verse 8, look what he says. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord. He acknowledges that Jesus is his master. He acknowledges that Jesus is his Lord and therefore that Jesus is in fact in control and in charge of everything because that's what a, a Lord does. And part of that understanding is that Jesus is in control of his money and his stuff. And now that Jesus is his Lord, he can't stand the fact that his stuff was gained in such a wrong, evil way when he's trying to be right. And he says, I've, I've got to be generous with this. He says, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. What he's doing here, you can look at the Old Testament uh, laws through this in Exodus 22, Leviticus 5, that verse in Numbers. He is giving way above and beyond what he needed to to make things right. Did he do that out of guilt? I don't think so. Did he do it because it was the politically correct thing to do so? I don't think so. He did it because his heart was changed. His heart was in a different place now. This is why restitution is important. It's not something we do out of, out of guilt. It's something we do because our heart is different. You know, we were talking about building bridges to restore society. We've been looking, all of us, at politics We've been thinking through different scenarios that can heal and fix our culture. We've been trying to find this silver bullet that will fix everything. And I tell you today that the gospel is that silver bullet that fixes things because the gospel changes our heart. It's only when me and you and everybody experiences a change of heart and attunes our heart before God that we can start to experience the healing and the restitution that he wants to bring. Restitution happens emotionally. It happens practically as he writes those wrongs as he helps those he's taken advantage of. He knows that his testimony is worthless if it's not backed up by deeds. It's not about changing words, it's about changing a life. And so restitution comes emotionally and it comes practically and then it comes spiritually. And Jesus says, verse 9, 
about this spiritual transformation. Today, salvation has come to this house, to this family, to the leader of this family. He too is now a son of Abraham. In that language, son of Abraham, he's saying he's become part of the family of God. This restitution has restored him to the family of God. He, he, didn't, he didn't get right and give the money to restore him. He gave the money back and made things right because his heart had been changed by the grace and the love of Jesus. And because Jesus had changed his heart, salvation had come to his house. I want to remind you that as we have confessed our sins before God, as we have received his forgiveness, as we repent, and as we go about the business of restoring, that Jesus has saved us, saved us from wrong to take us to right. That we're not living for the pleasures of this earth, but that our hope is in heaven. This week I heard this, this phrase, I think it was on Monday or Tuesday in a podcast I was listening to from a pastor in New York. I've been thinking about it all week. One of his diagnoses of our cultural problems is that we, the people of God, who have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, have forgotten that we're saved. And we've stopped living with this heavenly perspective and this eternal mindset. This is what he said. Folks are so interested and consumed by living their life now that they've forgotten about eternity. He says we forgot and we don't believe in an afterlife. And when we neglect that we have an afterlife, we try to cram an eternity into a lifetime. We try to cram an eternity into a lifetime. And it just doesn't work. It makes us more desperate. It makes us more selfish. It actually makes us more wrong. Emotionally, practically, spiritually. Restitution was coming among the people. Here was a guy who was living a life that was wronged and he was invited to change and that change caused him to make right. 
Let's zoom in a little bit on this scripture. Who are you in this story? Let me tell you who you're not. You're not Jesus because Jesus is Jesus. There are times when we act like the crowd. But I don't think we're the crowd. I think we're Zacchaeus. Because we've done wrong and we're invited to change. And as we change, we long to make things right. And so if we're Zacchaeus, there are three steps there. Some of us are still living in that wrongness, right? That phrase didn't work. We're living in the wrongness, period. (laughs) All of us are invited by Jesus to change. And some of us have been changed. And we need to make some of the wrongs right. In fact... As we give our life to Christ, we need to give our life to making wrongs right. And so where are you today? Still living in the wrong? That'll catch up for you. It's not going to work for too much longer. We're all invited to change. Maybe today... We need to raise our hand and say, hey, today's my day to change. This behavior, this relationship. Maybe for some it's time to say it's need to change my whole life. Because we need to make things right with each other's and with God. Heard this great quote in my studies this week from St. Augustine. He said, He who made you is the one to remake you. He who made you is the one to remake you. And so we ask our Creator God, who knitted us together in our mother's womb, who loves us so much that he has as many thoughts about us, the psalmist says, as there are grains of sand on a beach. The the one who Jesus says knows the number of hairs on our head. The one who made you is best qualified to remake you. As we have wronged, there is an invitation to change and an opportunity in Jesus' name and in Jesus' strength and in Jesus' power to make right.